Welcome back to the 18th Century Podcast, I'm your host CJ. In today's episode, we will be taking a look at secret societies. Secret societies are a fascinating topic, and they were somewhat prevalent during the 18th century. We're going to start off the episode discussing a brief overview of the topic, then a few of the societies in particular. Among those discussed will be the Freemasons, the Hellfire Club, and the Illuminati. If you'd like to read the script for this episode and its citations, go to 18thcentury.home.blog. That's 18thcentury.home.blog. Type the numbers, don't spell them. Alright, let's get into it with a brief overview of secret societies in the 18th century. Perhaps the best way to describe a secret society is to speak of its most basic elements. A secret society is a group of people centered around a goal or a group of goals or ideas uh, and espousing them in secrecy. Um, Secret societies could be religious or secular. Ceremony and rituals are often involved, as passed down traditions. A secret society could have certain qualifications for membership, such as being of a particular sex, a specific age, social class, even your job. Traditionally, most secret societies tended to be for adult males. Now, let's look at some examples of secret societies in the 18th century, beginning with the Freemasons. Freemasonry is perhaps one of the most popular secret societies in the world. The roots of Freemasonry my apologies, go back further than that of the 18th century. Most likely, Freemasonry started as a guild or guilds in the Middle Ages. Yet, as time went on, they formed into the group known as the Freemasons. One no longer had to be an actual mason to join. Semblance of Freemasonry slowly came into being during the 17th century. There were signs of lodges in the 17th century as well. I'd like to note that at this point, it was more focused in England. Jumping into the 18th century, the more modern structure began to take shape. On June 24, 1717, the first Grand Lodge was established. This Grand Lodge was comprised of four separate lodges in London coming together. This would be the first Grand Lodge in the entire world. In 1723, the new Grand Lodge published their first rule book. Then, in 1725, the Grand Lodge of Ireland was established. The French Grand Lodge opened its doors in 1728. On July 30, 1733, the first Grand Lodge in America was established. Eighteen men gathered together in a tavern in Boston to establish this new Grand Lodge, which was also the first Grand Lodge in America. In 1736, the Scottish Grand Lodge was established. Around the uh, 1730s through the 1740s in France, there was an idea of having a mixed-sex form of Freemasonry. This could be referred to as the right of adoption. It wasn't popular with everyone, but rules for it were eventually adopted in France. One of the key points of Freemasonry is brotherhood. 
Some general requirements for joining were being a freeborn male who believes in some sort of supreme being of good character and a particular minimum age. The term lodge refers to the meeting of masons, however the word lodge can be interpreted as where they meet as well. Grand lodges issue charters or warrants for the formation of new lodges. If they do not obtain a charter or warrant, they are viewed as irregular and not officially recognized. If they are recognized, they are viewed as regular. This practice of viewing a lodge as regular or irregular is also at the Grand Lodge level as well for the simple fact of mutual recognition. The acts conducted within Freemasonry during the 18th century were secretive, so I can't really discuss much on what they actually did, because we don't know. Um, I think this would be a good spot to move on to our next uh, secret society or club, which is the Hellfire Club. You may have heard of the Hellfire Club, if only for the simple fact of Ben Franklin possibly may have attended. There were a few Hellfire Clubs sprinkled throughout Ireland and England. However, the first Hellfire Club was started in England in 1719 by the first Duke of Wharton. There wasn't a ton of organizational structure in Hellfire Clubs. The main point of these clubs was in fact hedonism. Drunkenness and other debaucherous activities were prevalent. The most famous Hellfire Club was started by Sir Francis Dashwood. However, he would add his own branding to the club, dubbing it the Order of the Knights of St. Francis. His club was founded sometime in the 1730s, and it was originally placed about six miles from his home in West Wycombe, uh, Sir Dashwood would set up shop in an old abandoned abbey. They would meet usually twice a year. Members could expect good food, much drinking, and to quote from a book from 1779 called Nocturnal Revels, which was a record of the meetings, quote, cheerful ladies of lively dispositions, unquote. In the mid-1760s, Sir Dashwood would change the uh, venue. Eventually, the club would, be, uh, would come to a close. Now, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll finish the episode off by talking about the Illuminati. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back. We'll finish off this week's episode by discussing one of the most famous secret societies in history, the Illuminati. The real Illuminati was started by a Bavarian man named Adam Weishaupt. My apologies for my mispronunciation of the uh, German language. I, I believe it is pronounced Weishaupt. I'm going to be referring to him as Adam for the remainder of this episode. Adam was born in 1748 and attended a Jesuit school in his youth. Adam would go on to become a professor of natural law and canon law. He would get married and start a family. 
He grew up in a Catholic society, but read his uncle's French Enlightenment books during his youth. His political views tended towards the idea that monarchy and the church were repressive organizations. This You could uh, derive this most likely from him reading French Enlightenment thinkers. For a time, he considered joining the Freemasons, but some of his views contrasted with that of the Masons. He decided to form his own society, and one of their core beliefs was the abolishment of monarchy. On May 1st, 1776, the 28-year-old Adam conducted the very first Illuminati meeting. There was a total attendance of five members. They established the rules of their new society that night. Illumination was the main goal of the Illuminati, which, to put it another way, was to bring knowledge of truth, of uh, true liberty to the people. He added mysticism to their society to make the uh, Republican group seem more mysterious. In 1780, Adam attracted um, the attention of Adolf Francis, a baron and an occultist. The Baron seemed to approve of the Illuminati's goals, and he helped establish chapters across Germany. By 1782, their numbers swelled to around 600 men. The Illuminati attracted doctors, lawyers, politicians, intellectuals, and the like. During 1784, their membership would hit about 3,000 men. There were 13 degrees a member could attain, and this structure was in part modeled after the Masons. In part. Yet, they would meet their downfall between 1784 to 1785. A dissolutioned member would write to the uh, Grand Duchess of Bavaria informing her of the secret societies. The letter was a mixture of truth and falsehoods. The Grand Duchess informed her husband, the Duke Elector, about this and he would issue an edict effectively banning the formation of societies not prescribed by law. Then in 1785, another edict was passed specifically banning the Illuminati. Police were sent out to arrest members and confiscate anything to do with the Illuminati. In 1787, the Duke Elector would pass a final edict which officially prohibited the Illuminati and made being a member worthy of a death sentence. Adam was banished and he would spend the rest of his days as a teacher of philosophy at a university in Saxony. Thus, this brings us to the end of the Illuminati. Secret societies are an interesting topic. Some of them still exist today, such as the Freemasons. I found this as an interesting topic to research, and I hope you enjoyed hearing about it as much as I did reading about it. Now, I, I'm going to go off script here for a quick second and uh, just discuss a thing. Um, I did not put citations in for this. I just thought of this while recording this episode, and I do want to mention this because there is great misinformation about this, especially in today. Now, the idea of what we would know as the all-seeing eye, you know, that triangle with the eye in the center you see in the back of the dollar bill, that is not a uniquely Illuminati symbol. 
um, that was just a common symbol, I believe, if I remember correctly, referring to um, like the watchful eye of God during the 18th century. That was the idea of it. It did not specifically belong to the Illuminati, the Illuminati and nor like the Freemasons. It was just kind of a general symbol people would use. Um, if I remember correctly, the actual symbol for the Illuminati is the Owl of Minerva. Again, I don't have citations for this as I just remembered this on the spot, but I encourage you to do your own research and look into this because I do want to stamp out this misinformation. The all-seeing eye, the um, triangle with the eye in the center, yeah, that's not an Illuminati symbol at all. The actual Illuminati symbol is the Owl of Minerva. So, again, no citations for that, just popped in my head. Old information I remembered from years ago. But anyways, the script and citations for this episode and all other episodes can be found at 18thcentury.home.blog. That's 18thcentury.home.blog. Type the numbers, don't spell them. If you'd like to support the show, please share it and leave a review. Uh, reviews really do help bolster numbers for uh, the show, so it's much appreciated if you do. I've been your host, CJ, and thank you for listening to this episode of the 18th Century Podcast.